has to be an aspect where I'm looking at who I am. Okay? Who am I? I got to look at who I am and say, what does my character look like? And someone might ask, well, what does it look like for someone to uh, be developed in their character or mature in their character? And I read this illustration and I thought it was pertinent. Said if you can be a, be cheerful, ignoring aches and pains, if you can resist complaining, if you can eat the same food every day and be grateful for it, if you can understand when your loved ones are too busy to give you any time, if you can overlook it when those you love take it out on you when through no fault of yours something goes wrong, if you can take criticism and blame without resentment, if you can ignore a friend's limited education and never correct, correct him or her. If you can resist treating a rich friend better than a poor friend. If you can face the world without lies and deceit. If you can conquer tension without medical help. And if you can sleep without the aid of drugs, then you have almost reached the same level of development as your dog. It's not where you thought I was going with that, was it? <laughs> but when we ask the question, what does it look like for me to be mature in character? How often do we make the mistake of answering that question based on what culture says that should look like? And we look at the definitions of what adulthood or maturity says it should look like, and we define where we are at based on that reality. And yet, if you remember from last week, we have this illustration with three pictures and how easy it is to compare where we're at in our walk with Christ based on where someone else is. And yet the measure, according to Paul, is Christ. And so for me to be growing up in Christ means that I'm fixing my eyes on him and I'm going, my character should model more of what Jesus modeled. I should be becoming more like him. If I am not becoming more like Jesus, then I need to grow up. Okay? Another passage, if you uh, flip back just a few pages in your Bible to Galatians chapter 5. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 5. And here we have another letter written to the church. And the book of Galatians is written uh, to followers of Christ who are really struggling with the transition from obeying the law of the Old Testament to the new commandment in Christ. And there's this tension here. And so it's, this letter's written to encourage them, hey, remember what Jesus has done. Remember these things. Don't resort back to the law and the old way of thinking. But in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, it identifies and says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus, listen to this, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is just another level of saying, hey, this is an area where we need to grow up. We need to mature. And we look at this as an example and say, man, is my life embodying these truths? Am I pursuing a life, a character, a model that looks more like Jesus? Or one that looks more like what the rest of culture would say this should look like? Even in Ephesians chapter 2, which we went through, 
He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Remember that? Everyone say dead. In which you once walked. It's supposed to be past tense. And that's what we pursue. That's what we strive for. And this isn't, church, you need to hear this. This isn't a light switch. This isn't something you're going to wake up tomorrow and go, bam, I figured it out. I am now mature. In the same way that you becoming a mature adult isn't something that happens overnight. It takes time. But if we never strive to go further than where we are today, then we are destined to remain in the same immaturity that we're in right now. To grow up in Christ means I am, first of all, becoming mature in character, but secondly, means I'm becoming mature in unity. Look at verse 3 of Ephesians 4. The tail end of this, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Verse 4, there is how many bodies? And how many spirits? Just as you were called to the, how many, how much hope? What hope? One hope that belongs to your call. How many lords? How, ma- how many faiths? How many baptisms? And how many gods? Who is over all and through all and in all. Now this is where it gets really applicable to us. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. This isn't talking about somehow you are given less grace through Christ. Okay? This is going back to the reality of the church's spiritual giftedness and the broadness of this. That God has chosen to use people at different stages of life, at different walks of life, and He's given them different giftings. He says, it's not one of you that defines what the church is or who the church is. It's the whole. It's everybody corporately. And when we don't realize that, all of a sudden we're divisive. Because then so-and-so is just obnoxious. And I don't understand how they can be used for God's purposes. I don't get how their quirkiness can be applicable to what we're trying to accomplish within the church. And yet this is the reason, this, this highlights the reason that diversity in the church should be celebrated. In fact, it's in 1 Corinthians 12 that Paul says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? Or if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? And he's using this as an example to say, hey, look at your own body, physical body, and imagine for a second that only one of those parts worked entirely. Imagine a body without without feet, and some people have to deal with that. Or without hands, or without sight, or hearing, or without the ability to speak. And we know people who, who struggle with that reality day to day. But imagine if all of it was gone except one of those. And we say, well, that, that would be ridiculous. First of all, I don't want to just be an ear. I don't want to look like a giant ear. Right? But even beyond that, that's oftentimes subconsciously what we desire the church to be. And I just, if everybody could be on the same page with me, 
If everybody could have the same gifting as me, if this could all look like, wow, I want it to look. And all we're saying is, I don't want the diversity in the church. I just want comfortable. And Paul's saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. This whole idea is the oneness is made up of a diverse amount of people. And grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, verse 8, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens. Get this, that he might fill all things. That he might fill all things. Church, if we're going to grow up in Christ, it means I'm becoming more mature in how I'm being a part of unity instead of part of division. And we've talked a lot about that in Ephesians. In Ephesians, that's a main focus is oneness, togetherness, recognizing that we're all fallen, we're all sinful, we all struggle, and yet that's exactly why we all desperately need Christ. And apart from Him, you and I amount to nothing. Apart from Him, you and I can't accomplish that which He's called the church to be and to do. And so we have to come together in that. We have to grow in our maturity of what unity is supposed to look like, not what we've made it to be. And the cool thing is God didn't hang us out to dry in this sense. Verse 11, it says, And He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers... To do what? What does it say? To equip or prepare. To give the tools to the saints. For the work of ministry. For the building up of the body of Christ. So if you ever wonder why God has gifted some people the ability to teach. And why God set in motion certain gifts in the way he did. The purpose is not so that the church would become a place that sits in one location and simply all they do is observe one person's gift. Okay? We fall into that trap. And if we don't take what we are gleaning here and we actually put it into practice and apply these things outside of Sunday morning, that is exactly what we are doing. You're coming here and maybe you see giftedness of musicians on stage or you come and you say man uh, you see giftedness and whoever is teaching and then you go home and that's it that is not what god intended for the church to be rather he gave the apostles the prophets the evangelists the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints to do ministry to do ministry and you might ask well how long is that going to take Verse 13 says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It's a lofty goal. It's a lofty standard. But as long as we are continuing to grow to be more like Jesus, as long as there is a need 
for us to be more mature, to grow up more. God's word continues to be applicable for us. That's why we have to dive into this. And we have to resonate with what this looks like. Because if we gather ideas outside of God's truth of what unity is supposed to look like, what it looks like for me to be mature, then we're going to be all over the board. To grow up in Christ means I'm becoming mature in character, mature in unity. Thirdly, it means I'm becoming mature in doctrine. Look at verse 14 with me. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. So we may no longer be tossed to and fro. Now, I guarantee that there's many of us that at times have felt like that's exactly what's happening in our life, right? Or we just feel like, man, I'm over here, and then I get thrown back over here, and all of a sudden I'm back here, and I have no control over this. I feel like I'm shifting, I don't know where to stand, I'm trying to get my footing, and I'm falling flat on my face. I can testify to times like that. I've experienced times like that. I'm not exempt from that. And in fact, I would say there's probably no one in this room that's exempt from times like that. And this is where that concept of growing up comes in, where we're pursuing a place where we can be mature and firm and sturdy. And as an example of that, we're going to look at a story that Jesus told, an example he gave in Matthew chapter 7. So put your finger in Ephesians 4 and turn with me back uh, several, several books to Matthew chapter 7. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 7. Specifically, verse 24 is where we're going to start. And some of you may have heard this story before, but we forget so easily. It says, everyone then who hears these words of mine, this is Jesus talking, by the way, and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall. Some of you are now singing that song from your childhood in your head. Because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell, and great was the fall of it. How many of you have stood alongside the ocean in the sand? How many of you have done that? Okay, you walk up to the edge, and the water comes in and washes over your feet. And then what happens when it goes back out? You feel that sand go out from under you, right? And it's kind, of a, it's kind of a cool feeling, honestly. But it's only cool because 
I'm at the beach and I'm standing in front of the ocean. Imagine that same principle with your house. Not so cool. Not so cool. But I tell you, a lot of us are trying to build a faith foundation on sand. On uncertainty. And I'm sure many of us could resonate <clears throat> with a pretty popular hymn that was sung and is still sung many places. Some of you could probably sing it with me. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. But I ask you that question. We can sing that song. And what are you saying? On Christ the solid rock I stand. Are you? Are you standing on the rock? Because too often, church, too often... We sing words like that and we say these things and we recognize these truths and we're not living it. And we say, man, I love, I love the theology in these words. But we don't care beyond the song. We don't care beyond the words of Scripture. And we wrestle with this and yet we question, why do I constantly feel like I'm falling flat on my face? And the question has to be, where are you building your foundation? Where are you building your foundation of faith? And we need to grow up to move beyond where we are today towards the fullness of Jesus. Because that's the only firm foundation that's going to last when the storms come and the rain hits and the wind blows. And let me tell you, it's going to blow and it's going to storm. And it's not going to get easier, church. Jesus promised that to his disciples. It's not going to get easier. But we can't wait until it gets harder to build our foundation. Ask anyone who's tried to build a house or has built a house. They don't wait until things get a little uneasy to solidify the base, the root, the foundation. If I'm to grow up in Christ, it means I'm becoming mature in my doctrine, in the core of what I believe and what I know to be true. Fourthly, to grow up in Christ means I'm becoming mature in speech. Now this one gets a little challenging for us, doesn't it? Turn back to Ephesians 4, if you're not already there, and look at verse 15. Look at verse 15. And this is coming right off the statement of, uh, so that we're not tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to, what does it say? Grow up. Everyone say, grow up. In every way into Him who is the head. Into Christ. If I'm seeking to grow up into Christ, my character should be becoming more like Jesus. My idea of unity should be becoming more like Jesus. 
my foundation should be becoming more secure in who Jesus is. And when words come out of my mouth, they should sound more like what Jesus would say. And that's really hard. Because sometimes we get frustrated. Sometimes we just spout off. And yet, in the midst of this, has to be a question I'm asking myself, is what I'm saying and how I'm saying it. Like Jesus, or like my selfish, sinful self? Who am I imitating? Who am I replicating? And I'm not discrediting, okay? I'm not discounting those of you who maybe had something really challenging modeled for you when you were growing up. And how words were used, okay? I'm not discrediting that. But you have a choice today as to how you respond to that. And that only person that can shift that and grow up in that is you. It's the only person you can control in that sense. So in application to all of this, what happens in light of these scriptures? What happens... When we choose to grow up, when we choose to pursue maturity in Christ, what happens? First off, we begin to see God's purposes more clearly than our wants. If I am pursuing Jesus and seeking to become more like him, all of a sudden, his purposes become clearer and my selfish desires become quieter. When I choose not to pursue Christ... Those selfish voices get louder and louder in my head. The temptation gets stronger and stronger and stronger. I have to root myself back in. And when I decide I'm going to pursue Jesus, we begin to see his purposes more clearly. Psalm 37 tells us, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. But it starts by delighting yourself in the Lord, focusing on who he is. Secondly, we begin to pursue togetherness over selfishness. It comes back to this concept of unity. We recognize our giftedness. We recognize the church is made up of a variety of people. And we recognize that we've got to work together if we're going to accomplish anything. And so we pursue a oneness, a togetherness, recognizing that there's one God. There's one spirit. There's one body. There's one church. And we're going to pursue it together. Thirdly, we begin to ask, what can I do for Christ rather than what can Christ do for me? Now, this is really important, church. And this goes back to the purpose that was given for the prophets, the evangelists, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Too often, we come here with a mentality of what can Christ do for me? How can I be fed? How can I be encouraged? And though there are seasons for that, the goal is not to remain that. It's to grow up to a place to say, now I just want to know how I can serve Christ. How can I serve the people around me? How can I love on the people around me? How can I pursue Him and model this to the people around me through what I do? 
We begin to ask, what can I do for Christ rather than what can Christ do for me? Fourthly, we begin to feel secure on a foundation of truth rather than shaky on a foundation of uncertainty. That's my prayer for us as a church. That as we think about that reality, as we think about these truths that will become rooted in them, that the foundation will be built to a place where we go, man, I am firm. I don't feel like I'm shaking or like the sand is being brushed out from under me and I'm going to fall because I know I'm secure in the hope that I have. Fifthly, What happens when we choose to grow up, we begin to see a shift in not only how we act, but how we think and how we speak. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into Christ. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. And the sixth thing that happens is in the last part of verse 16, Ephesians 4. And it says, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So when we choose to grow up in Christ, we begin to see the church build itself up in love. That's my hope. And I've said this many times, and I'll continue to hear it. You'll continue to hear it from me. Church, my ultimate prayer would be that someday the church would get to a place where they say, man, I don't I don't know that we need one person here on earth to help facilitate all of this, because we just know we know the truth. We know the hope we've been called to. We know that we're supposed to love each other and we're just caring for one another. And we're equipping each other, we're encouraging each other, we're challenging each other, and the church is just growing on its own because the foundation of the church is what God desired it to be. And so, I challenge you in this to think through, where do I need to grow up? Where do I need to pursue maturity in my walk with Christ? And then be vulnerable about about that. Tell someone about that. Have someone walk alongside you and say, man, I really need to grow in this area. Would you help keep me accountable to that? And let's work together to pursue this. Not just as individuals, but together as the church. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word. Lord, I pray that you would challenge us to become mature disciples of Christ. That you would bring to mind the areas that maybe we've shoved back and we've said, I'm good here, I'm good, I don't need anything more. That you would challenge our thinking and grow us beyond what we ever thought possible. Lord, may we reach beyond these walls, beyond this place, to seek out the people that we know that are around us, that are in our community, that desperately need this truth. And give us the boldness and the maturity to go and say, I know where there is hope. I know where there is truth. And I want to share it with you and invite you into that.
Lord, we commit all this to you and praise you for all that you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.